Hey guys, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombians podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie. And I'm Damian Pizzanti. So, uh, welcome to another edition of Clark Talks. It's kind of like when a new restaurant opens in town, everybody eats there within the first two weeks yep. to know what it tastes like. Right, yeah, right. That's what it is. It's yeah. not because they don't like us. Right. You like us, right, listeners? <laughs> I know you do. Anyway, um, your feelings for us aside, so we're going to bring you Jake Thomas, the Columbians County reporter, who's going to talk with us about a larger Sunday story that he has coming out um, just this here Sunday. in a couple, yeah, here in a couple days, about farming in Clark County. Following our conversation with Jake, we're going to bring you another edition of Olympia Update with our state politics reporter, Lauren Dake. Lauren is sitting down with Senator Linda Wilson from the 17th Legislative District to talk to her a little bit about the recent bill uh, to make the I-5 bridge a potential project of statewide significance. So she'll be sitting down with her to talk a little bit about where we are in very, very early replacement efforts. And why she signed on to and that why bill she to begin with. On, yeah. So. Yeah. That's as always it's a great conversation that'll so, be our show yeah that's our show stay tuned all right so we are sitting down uh once again with jake thomas um our county reporter and he's going to talk to us about a story that he's got uh coming out this sunday so thanks for coming on again jake you're so welcome so tell us what you're working on what's coming out this weekend well if you want to know about agriculture in clark county this is good the story for you uh something i've been thinking a lot about since i got here i there's the the comprehensive plan, the county's comprehensive plan, which is currently under appeal, and there's just a lot of anxiety about w- how the county is planning for agriculture and what the future of it is going to be in Clark County. Those rural folks are really feeling the gro- growing pains of this area as it, the population grows. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, man, I don't want to put it quite this way, but what are people worried about? What is the, what is the issue here that you explored in this upcoming story? Really, what I was trying to get at is I, I hear all this anxiety expressed about losing this this piece of Clark County's past. Um, you know, you hear people remarks at county council meetings and just talking to sources, and there there's a lot of concern that. Uh, the county's at this crossroads with all this growth happening, and it's going to become a, basically a, a suburb of Portland and pave over all the farmland, and we'll just have strip malls and condominiums and subdivisions and really lose something that's been intertwined with the county's identity for, so, for a long time. I'm so glad that you're doing that, because this is a story that I always wanted to do when I was covering the county, but, I mean, in between all the vitriol and the pissy meetings, just never really got around to doing. So I, I'm excited about this story. What, um, I guess, what was your takeaway? Is that a real concern? Like, is that something that Clark County is threatened by right now? Or Well, what I found interesting is that this is not the first time the county's had these kind of concerns. Um, I went through some archives of the Columbian, and there was uh, headlines from articles that could have been written today about farms getting smaller, uh, farms shrinking, uh, concerns about income, and just the overall viability of farming. And there's also some uh, headlines that alluded to, uh, to farmers being worried about land being subdivided and paved over, essentially. That makes sense. One of the bits of context that's really lost in this conversation is just how young this whole area is and how short of amount of time these communities have been here. I mean, it's... You know, it's inevitable as these this area grows and it becomes like a more established, uh, older city and older county. Like you're gonna run into these issues of you know just 
expansion happening like we i still don't think we've reached that maximum expansion point like maybe like a city like boston or you know some of the larger more established cities on the eastern seaboard might have i, I think for, compared to a lot of places it's it's really it is relatively young i think they started having um farms were set up when john mclaughlin came over and the uh fort, fort vancouver trading post was set up and mm-hmm. so it is so compared to a lot of places it's only a hundred plus years old or about 200 years so mm-hmm. um so what were you brought in a guy to have an interview with him the other day right yeah i brought in uh warren neth he's the executive director of slow foods southwest washington it's uh, a group that uh it does a lot of things has a lot of local programs but but it's its central focus um is is it wants to preserve the food heritage of southwest washington and so that would be things. So he, we t- Warren and I talked a little bit about that, uh, about some of the the, the, the foods that the, the the region is known for. And here's uh, here's Warren talking a little bit about uh, the food heritage of Southwest Washington, and how it's changed over time. Thinking of the larger Southwest Washington region, there's uh, I like to really try to. Um, cultivate an understanding that we have um, a lot of different actual food regions within Southwest Washington. We have the Willapaw Bay oysters um, in Whatcom County. We have uh, in that Columbia estuary area, we have these amazing grasslands that were actually actually had a lot of these small dairies back in the early 19, 1900s uh, that produced uh, world-renowned cheeses because the grasses were so rich. The milk from those cows really produced these amazing cheeses, milk that they could make these cheeses from. Um, then Clark County, uh, we've had this long history of being berry growers, dairy people. Um, we had this big bump of being one of the world's largest prune growers. Um, well, what happened with that? Because I, I read that report you sent me about prunes. Like, yeah. you used to have a, a what was it, a prune princess every year? Prunarian prune, princess. Prunarian. <laughs> uh, what what happened though? How come we do we still make prunes, or do you know what happened? Or? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really interesting story. There's a couple different elements that knocked knocked us out of the, that category of prune growing region. Um, my my family actually we have some. Uh, my family were prune growers in the Minnehaha neighborhood. We had some large mini, um, prune orchards and filbert orchards, and um, there there was uh, really just a sea of prune orchards in Clark County at one point. Um, it was an easy crop to grow. You could prune trees really grow really well. They're um, in different kinds of soils and um, they're able to uh, get a lot of different farmers on board and when you get a lot of people growing the same thing in an area you're able to kind of develop um, ways to process and move and store and uh, market that 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 product that ends up helping all the farmers in the area so um, like in the Minnehaha neighborhood there was a number of prune growers that my family would uh, share a prune prune dryer with um, and uh, and so what ended up kind of ending that era was a number of things. There was kind of some market forces that uh, we, there was an overproduction of prunes for World War One uh, because it was a really easy packageable mm. food to help the troops. And so there's after world after after the war was over, there was kind of a uh, a drop in the in the demand. Uh, so that was one force. But w- another really driving force was. Um, uh, the silver blight. So now, if you go and see prunes in this area, you'll you'll notice they have this kind of little scab on them. Hmm. 
and while that doesn't really in my opinion hurt the fruit quality it it it, it really ended our of the commercial viability of it so yeah troy and i had a conversation with abby russell from the port of vancouver where she was telling us that like way back in the beginning that uh like terminal one was an area where they were like literally sh- moving plums and fruits and things like that on and off ships at the waterfront so I mean, they, the, the fruit industry used to be a very big part of the local economy around here. It did, and it's it, and included in this story, we ha- I got some numbers from the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis that and adjusted them for inflation, and it shows that that farm income has reached a peak in the 1970s and has been on decline since then. But in recent years, it hit rock bottom in 2008. But there are is are some signs of optimism for uh, farm income in Clark County. What is the what is the biggest type of farming happening right now? Is it small scale growers who maybe have like a couple of acres and they're just specializing in a couple of things, or are we still seeing large scale commercial agriculture that's viable here in Clark County? Well, looking at some of the numbers from the United States uh, Census of Agriculture, the number of large farms that are 800 acres plus 600 acres they are the minority they're not very big but they still do exist uh the most notable of which might be the laglers lagler dairy farm it's a historic dairy farm in um outside of battleground uh there's a lot of anxiety about that property because the county's comprehensive plan will will put that land into an industrial land bank um that the county justifies saying that it's going to help with jobs and it's really not that great of farmland anyways but that is a, a pretty large uh large uh chunk of land to take out of production which has a lot of people really concerned you know when i think about this from the county's perspective um I, it's hard to fault there. Like, I see their rationale because housing, residential areas do not pay for themselves. And really, you need that engine of either, uh, you know, some kind of like commercial space or industrial space to really like shore up the books. And, uh, you know, as Vancouver begins to take more and more pieces of the county's property, I can see why they would want to make a move like this to ensure their financial future. Well, and especially at that 503 junction there, I mean, that's something that Battleground has been very concerned about for a long time is there just are not a lot of jobs up in Battleground. There's a pretty industry poor area. So, I mean, I can definitely see the appeal of having something that is so close to Battleground city limits. But of course, you know, there's the agriculture piece of it too that that's a massive dairy farm that would be taken out of production if that moves forward so well when i spoke with mark bolt he's the chair of the uh clark county council and, he, and a former blueberry farmer himself he was telling me that some of the land is not that great some of it is, is 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 good for agriculture and some agricultural activities could continue on that land but he said it doesn't make sense to, to have that all zoned agriculture when it's not prime agricultural land i might get a lot of heat for saying this but i mean if if we're concerned about jobs and you know financial security and making sure everybody has these like working family wage jobs, agriculture is not the business to make that happen. And I mean, sure, like farmers can make a pretty decent living off of it, but like if you're a farm hand, you're not making that much money as opposed to somebody who you know may or may not be working for even something like a warehouse. But but there there is some statistics that show that there is millions of dollars in wages paid um uh by the sector but um but you're right it's not a big money maker it's not not a big driver of of uh, industry or uh, commerce in Clark County the way it used to be 
So I talked, did talk to Warren Neff a little bit about development. There's been a lot of pressure on farmland because people need houses. We're having a housing crunch in Vancouver and the Portland metropolitan area. So there is a need for housing and strong demand for housing. And there's concerns that people are going to start putting up McMansions on uh, prime farmland and start paving it over. And uh, and really, when that, that land is gone, it's gone. It's, it's hard to turn a McMansion into a farm again. Yeah, and what, so I t- talk when to, was the last time you saw a subdivision get paved o- or get plowed over so we can start growing corn or something there? Not that I've seen. Yeah. So I did talk to Warren Neth a little bit about the development pressures on agricultural land in Clark County. I hate to use the word death nail. No, I don't know. It's It's been a, it's a, something that we need to really face and create some really um, strong plans to uh, to to change and make sure that 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 development and that um, that development pressure doesn't um, end that um, five plus acre farms we'll always have in Clark County uh, um, a half acre five acre type farmer and that's great those are those kind of farmers are are um, um, a really great part of our uh, Clark County history and uh, future so uh, right now at the, at the county, there um, the, there's a couple county councilors who are interested in this issue of preserving farmland, and it's going to take some some work from the county. And I talked to a little bit, I talked to Warren Neth a little bit about this, about what kind of steps need to be taken to preserve uh, farming in Clark County. Uh, but what we really need to do in this next um, four years, really, is make a push of developing programs to be able to uh, conserve our farmland. Uh, and there's ways that people, counties and um, farmers and advocacy groups have done that around the country. Uh, and uh, those tools, uh, we've been advocating over the last the last round of comp plan updates and um, that we didn't get as much traction. There was a lot of turmoil in that mm-hmm. last um, comp plan update period and we weren't able to get as much traction. Um, and we're really hoping for this new board. We've gotten a lot of support from these new counselors and uh, um, we're, we're asking them to take some steps to help set us up for being able to make farming more profitable as well as cons- conserve farmland. And uh, um, we're having some good, good traction there. So. Okay. Um, Hearing his concerns and, um, like you said, the concerns of so many people, you don't have to look very hard in this county to uh, catch a conversation about how concerned people are of this changing demographic, this changing landscape. Um, are these fears well-founded? Is this Are we losing farmland in Clark County? Well, by the numbers, yes. If you look at the federal statistics, yes. If you look at the county numbers, yes. We're losing less land. Um, but it's, so it's really, we're at a, some of the people I talked to for this story, it seems that we're at a, a, a pivotal point right now, that the, the county can take some steps to preserve uh, farming in Clark County. Um, but there are some farms that are struggling that are just not making money, that are just not viable. And if there's, if farms aren't going to make it, then they're, I don't, I don't see how they're going to stay in, stay in, in, in existence, how they're going to keep producing and stay in business. When's your story come out? Sunday, March 19th. So check that online at Columbian.com or pick up a paper that day. So thanks, Jake. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lauren Dake, the state politics reporter for the Columbian, and today's Olympia update is with Senator Linda Wilson, who represents the 17th Legislative District in the Washington State Senate. Senator Wilson, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. 
So we have been talking a lot this legislative session about a measure aimed at reviving discussions surrounding replacing the Interstate 5 bridge. Most of the delegation has signed on to a measure that would, among other things, create an Oregon-Washington legislative task force to begin discussing how to replace the Interstate 5 bridge and improve the corridor. That's correct. <laughs> the bill's gaining a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. um, we recently spoke to Senator Ann River and Annette Cleveland about the bill, but you might be the lawmaker who's come under the most criticism for supporting this bill and signing your name on and championing it in the, in the state legislature. Why do you think that is? Well, there might be some um, concern, I guess, because I was one that was uh, pretty... I did a lot to ki help kill the CRC. So the Columbia River the Crossing. Columbia River Crossing, right. And um, so, you know, it was five, six, seven years ago. I mean, this thing was a long process. And I felt that this particular bridge was um, not the right project. I mean, there was a lot of problems. It was too low. It had a lot of mitigation dollars involved that didn't have to be. We had accounting problems. We had accountability problems. We don't, still don't know where a lot of the money went. And then, of course, for me, there was light rail on it. And I do not believe that light rail is going to be right for Clark County. I still believe that light rail will not be right for Clark County. Um, it, we do not have the population density to support it without having some huge su subsidies. And so I, I can't go there. I know that we need to have some form of mass transit. That's why that's in the bill, because forever that bridge was built, you know, with trolley cars. I mean, that's a mass transit. It's something other than vehicles. So um, we have to have some form of mass transit. A uh, bus is, would be my particular choice. And you know, BRT, which is basically buses, bigger buses, right? Right. right articulating buses. So um, I think that the confusion is that I was against it. That's why I believe this is not the CRC. We, we, we cannot build any bridge if Oregon is not at the table. We can start building a bridge on this side and then go over to the other side and say, hey, Oregon, Oregon, can we just drop the bridge on this side? No. Okay, so what do we do, right? We're stuck. So if we don't show that we are serious about doing any bridge over here on the other side, on our side, then I don't believe that they'll listen to us. I think one of the biggest reasons why um, it's been difficult now with conversations with Oregon is because they knew we killed it they were invested in the project and um you know they're a little gun shy and don't want to go down that path again so i think the the reason why i i want to be involved in this is because i want my voice at the table you know there's that saying if you don't if you're not at the table you're on the menu and i really believe that why wouldn't someone want me at the table expressing my views and the district's views? This is a project that is not just the 17th, the 18th, and the 49th district project. It is a project, seriously, of statewide significance, whether it's, it's given that title or not. It does affect us. It does affect commerce. It goes from Canada to Mexico. So why wouldn't we want to do something about this? And... Oregon has their problems, I get that. But we're in the discussion stages. We need to get buy-in from Oregon. And so 
You brought up light rail and getting buy-in from Oregon. Mm-hmm. Last time, those two were linked. You know, Oregon wanted light rail, Washington didn't. So if you get to that to kind of same gridlock that you did last time, I mean, are you, do you just feeling confident this time around can be different? And I guess what gives you that confidence? I think because we started this conversation a year ago and we knew what their contentious issues were and so we kind of took them off the table in order for us to get to the points that we did agree on which everybody's never going to be happy i mean it just isn't going to be that way um i've had so much support from not even just the talking about the bridge but the fact that we as republicans and democrats got together and um you know, we're trying to become a force for Clark County. That doesn't mean that I'm going to get my way and they're going to get their way all the time. So as we move forward, we've developed um, some trust in there. And we're being very careful that we don't break those trusts because it's going to be important as we move along. I mean, this could be a long process. And ultimately, I'd like to be involved in the conversation. Um, You know, and then, you know, there's elections down the line where we all have different people at the table. But so that's, you know, it's not always just going to be us because it depends on how long this process is going to take and nobody right. really knows. Right. So. And we should point out that the main gist of this bill is to create an Oregon Washington legislative task force that considers how to replace the I-5 corridor and the, and the I-5 bridge and improve the corridor and also looks at the region as a whole and looks at what other options will be available with the intent of putting the priority on that Interstate 5 bridge. Another component of it, though, is to go through everything, go through the inventory, the work that was done on the Columbia River crossing to see what's salvageable and to you know save you some money. Um, and I think that might be one of the reasons that some of your colleagues, including Representative Liz Pike, has said that she's really concerned that this is just gonna lead us right back down to the road of that very contentious Columbia River crossing bridge. And I guess, I mean, do you you think that's valid at all or do you see? As long as I'm at the table, that's not gonna happen. I mean, we have, you gotta look at the district quite frankly and you know, working with the three in the 49th and then there's six of us in the 17th and the 18th, right? And right now, that you know, our voice has to be heard. And so I think that with all of us there, I think that we're going to be able to come up with a better. Um, it has to be better than the project, or it won't work. It could be contentious down the line. I, I you know, we we know that. But as time goes on, um, you, I, see, that's where I want to get the facts. What can we use in the information that has already been taken what can we use out of there that can fit to any bridge that we want to work on in that area so you know there's there's permitting processes there's um environmental statements down there that shouldn't have changed much that we can use and if we can save the state money without having to go and do this stuff all over again because you know that's time consuming as well so what we're trying to do is get this bridge figured out and then start going to the public and tell them what you know get ideas and talk to them about it and and get their input because that's in the bill as well you know we insisted on that and um, so of course we want the information from from the people although we do have to remember it is a statewide project so we have to consider everyone Um, so 
I can't see that just because we're going to get the information, that means the project is the same, because it isn't. It, okay. it won't be. I th- some of the other opponents have pointed out too that they believe. I mean, it seems there's this this real growing movement actually in Clark County pushing for East or West County Bridge, pushing for a third bridge first. I know you've been supportive of a third bridge. What made you decide that the priority should be first on I-5 and then then looking at other options? Well, I think that I-5, because we already know where we're going to build it, right? So you, you're, you have far less mitigation um, problems, I guess, with doing it where it is now, or at least within the general area. You look at an east side bridge or a west side bridge, um, there's a whole lot of long-term processes that you're going to have to, to do. I think that either one of those, quite frankly, are you know 20 years out. If you are starting, you, you don't know where you're going to build it, then you have to go to the landowners to mitigate that. What is that going to cost? What are the environmental effects? Where are we going to start it? Where are we going to land it? Is Oregon going to listen to any of us, you know, for where we're going to land it? Because it has to make sense. They, their areas over there and their, their traffic isn't good either. So if we're going to change the traffic patterns, where is it going to work? If we connect it to 26, you, have you been on 26 lately? It's awful. Yes. It is awful. And so how are they going to fix it? We have to depend on Oregon to do a lot of things. That doesn't mean that we should do nothing to correct correct it for our people. I mean, one of the first things they could do to help us, you know, you talk about it's not going to fix any congestion, but when we come home at night into Vancouver from Portland, why is it so backed up over there coming home? That has nothing to do with the the I-5 corridor or the Rose Corridor corridor. It has nothing to do with that. When you hit this bridge area, it's a bottleneck. Why? We need to fix that. Are you confident it's going to pass the legislature this session, this bill? I'm pretty confident in that. Great. Well, thank you, Republican Senator Linda Wilson, for coming in and talking to us on Clark Talks Olympia Update. Thank you. Well, this week, we're going to have a little bit of a break from the usual because uh, powerful Ashley Swanson, who typically joins us to tell you the best things coming up this weekend and even a few days beyond, is sick. Yep. Even... even uh People like Ashley get sick. Yeah, it's a sad day in our little corner of the Columbian because we don't have her to deliver all the great weekend stuff going on. But we raided the weekend section and found some highlights that we think you guys will enjoy. Yeah, and uh, FYI, so Ashley, I guess I had no idea how much work these listings my take. God. Oh my God, just going through. We printed off Friday and Saturday, and this Damien and I have been sitting here with a highlighter. Like, I mean, there's so much in the weekend section. So I feel like she, I'm cramming for finals right I know now when she when she says she's only bringing you a taste of what's in there she is only bringing you a taste of what's in be, there she is it giving is. us the equivalent of like the uh the Costco uh the Costco samples yeah I mean, it's just like a little taste in this humongous right offering. she's giving you the little spoon of artichoke dip when you could have a pound so yeah, when you could have like a six-month supply <laughs> So I guess we should probably start at the top. With yeah, why Friday, don't you start huh? at the top? What's going on on Friday? It's St. Patrick's Day, so good lord, there is more things to do this weekend than I think would even be possible. I mean, just like a quick scan of the things happening. I'm not going to do justice to all the things that are going on, but a few things stuck out to me that I think you guys should check out. So as you can expect, there are tons of uh, St. Patrick's Day celebrations this Friday night all over town. Continuing into Saturday. Yeah, continuing into Saturday. There's a bunch of, there's a 
bunch of local bars and grills that are going to be having music all over the place. So some of them that stuck out to me, there's going to be a, the Cadillacs for Everyone St. Patrick's Day Bash at Billy's Blue Bar and Grill up in Hazeldale. It's going to be a $5 cover charge to get in. And at Shanahan's, there is going to be, from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., it's going to be like an all-day St. Patrick's Day event. I mean, where else are you going to have? like a Yeah, and that can actually continues on Saturday at Shanahan's from 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. So right. you can uh, go get your debauchery on at Shanahan's yeah. all weekend, apparently. Irish beers and corned beef, no cover charge. There's going to be stuff going on at Cascade Bar and Grill. I mean, there's going to be another one there's going to be another celebration up in north county at the molten falls winery up in Yakholt. that'll cost you three dollars to get in that's a great winery if you haven't been to that winery, great winery. it's a great winery yeah totally totally worth your time year round i really really like the settings this. idyllic yeah i like their ciders more than i do their wines. really i haven't tried their ciders on point huh definitely on point but later in the evening if you're not feeling so saint patrick's day and you want to get out and do something else and maybe get out of town Head over to Portland, because if you guys are podcast fans, which I hope you are if you're listening to this, the creators of Serial, that super famous podcast that blew up two years ago, Sarah Koenig and Julie Snyder are going to be at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall at 8 p.m. Tickets are a little steep for this, but man, how often does somebody like that come to town? So it would be worth checking out. If you go to portland5.com, you can get some more details, but tickets, they're pricey. They're going to range from $29.50 to $49.50. And I'm sure that's before the surcharge and all those silly fees that they tack on. And yeah, stuff. well, and then you need to get a beer and, and everything. So right, right. But if that's if if you're not feeling like you want to spend that much money, but you still want to get some culture, Catch Me If You Can is going to be presented by the Prairie High School Drama. It's a play that follows Frank Abalon Jr., who leaves home and high school to use his gift for telling tales and forging checks for misadventures across the globe using various identities. That's actually well, and who doesn't love the music from that? I'm yeah. assuming that they use the music, same music that they do in the movie. That was a great movie. It's a great movie. If you guys haven't seen it, it's Tom Hanks and... No, um, it's uh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, but isn't isn't he played across from Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks is a CIA agent oh. trying to... Ch- or FBI agent oh, trying I don't to remember. chase him. Anyway, that's happening at 7 o'clock, and it's going to be on the 17th and 18th, and also March 24th and March 25th at Prairie High School. Um, its tickets are 12.50 for people... 850 for seniors, 650 for students, and you can find out about that at greateventseats.com/prairiehs. You're right about Tom Hanks, by the way. For the win. Yep. And then Cinderella is going to be playing at the Camus High School Theater. It's going to be a contemporary take on the fairy tale, and as we all know, the tireless Cinderella story and her wicked stepmothers and stepsisters. God, talk about a girl with family problems. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Where was CPS in those days? (laughs) That's going to be at 7 o'clock, also March 17th, 18th, and the 24th, 25th. And it looks like there's going to be a couple uh, afternoon shows as well. That play is going to be showing at Camus High School. Tickets are $10 and $7 for students and seniors. You can find out about that at chs.camus.wednet.edu. I hope that made sense. If it didn't, I'm sorry. God, there's just there's so many things going on this weekend. There's going to be the Patty Houck Parade at 12.30 p.m. This is an annual parade. If you guys know about it, you definitely know about it. If this is di- on Friday. Yep, on Friday. If you don't know about it, it's going to be students and staff and a local community celebration at Houck Elementary. 
And, you know, it's going to be a bunch of kids winding through the main street to McLaughlin Boulevard. And then... It's um, adorable. Yeah. It's, I mean, who doesn't love that? Unless you're in a hurry. If you're in a hurry and if you, you need have to, to get down that Main area, Street, then yeah. yeah. You're going to want to avoid that street. But, man, if you're around, who doesn't love little kids parading, having, having a good time? So, um, let's see... This one, I think, might be my personal highlight. So there's going to be a St. Patrick's Day music and movie at 7 p.m. at the Kiggins Theater. So you can celebrate St. Patrick's Day with music and a movie, combining the talents of Fort Vancouver pipe band Bagpipes with a screening of The Quiet Man. The bagpipers and the drummers will play a half-hour performance with various Scottish and Irish tunes. And then starring John Wayne, The Quiet Man features a famous fight scene that winds its way across a small village in the countryside of Ireland. And so again, this is going to be a Kiggins Theater, downtown Vancouver for 10 bucks. I would definitely check that out. I, I could go on, but just check out the weekend section for Friday night. There's so much happening. Yeah, and I'll take over on Saturday. So the uh, the St. Patrick's Day festivities continue. Like I said, there's Shanahan's from nine nine a.m. to two p to two a.m. over on McLaughlin. Um, there is also a St. Patrick's Day party with Butterfly Breakdown uh, and the Vancouver Firefighters Bagpipe Band. Uh, which have we done a story about the Vancouver Firefighters Bagpipe Band? Because that sounds delightful. So that starts at 645 at Northwood Public House and Brewery on 1401 Southeast Rasmussen and Battleground. That one's free. So this one caught my eye. There is the Clark College Concert Choir and Concert Band are going to perform a uh, original show called New Work by composer Timothy Michael Powell, uh, Beyond the Stars. It starts at 730. It's a collaboration between the band choir and aerospace program. It sounds awesome. Yeah. The music is titled Singular and it's inspired by black holes. Neil deGrasse Tyson would be so pumped about this. So if you want to feel really small about your place in the universe and uh, get overwhelmed like I do when I start thinking about black holes, um, it sounds like that is definitely something to check out. It's going to be at the Connell Sports Complex at 1933 Fort Vancouver Way right there on the Clark College campus. Um, Also, and here's my favorite one for the weekend, it's Brewfest weekend. Brewfest starts actually Friday, runs from 4 to 10 p.m. and then on Saturday from 12 to 10 p.m. So have some great local breweries. They have a heated tent this year. Um, pro tip, it's probably too late to sign up now, but you should definitely sign up to volunteer at Brewfest uh, on some occasion if you get a chance. My partner and I have been doing that for the last like four Brewfests. You get free admission, you get some free tokens, you pour beer for three hours and talk to people about what they're drinking. And uh, I suppose I don't have to remind you guys about this because you're all hardened Pacific Northwesterners, but if you go, bring a ring coat bring a raincoat it's gonna be raining this saturday unfortunately yeah i'll be curious the the summer the summer brew fest is like real ipa heavy so i don't know if in the spring if they maybe do a little bit a little bit maltier stuff but i hope that they've got some saisons and some you know good blondes and wheat yeah things more for this type of year that one's a little bit a little bit pricier it's 22 dollars for the package um which gets you entry and some tokens it's seven dollars for entry only and i think there's some i think they've got soda and things if you're a designated driver so at least they always they always have so the other thing the farmer's market is coming back this weekend um it will run from 9 a.m to 3 p.m on saturdays and 10 a.m to 3 p.m on sundays so this is the opening weekend and will run uh through october 29th it's on 6th and esther streets in downtown vancouver so we got a pretty good little farmer's market here so definitely come down and 
check it out. I love uh, our farmers markets. I like farmers markets in general. We've we've got really good ones around here. So man, Ashley works hard. Yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> just, just ran a marathon Friday and Saturday. There's so much to do this weekend. We could have made a whole podcast about it. So if you're wondering about Sunday and beyond. Check out all of Ashley's hard work and go to our website and check out the weekend section. Yeah. And or pick, pick up, up your, a paper and find the weekend section. Right. Pick up your Friday paper and pull out the uh, weekend section and got a whole slate of stuff to do in there. So, yeah. If you're bored, you're boring. That's all I can yep. say about that. <laughs> God, I'm so boring then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I guess thanks to us. And fingers crossed for Ashley's healthy and yeah, safe return yes. next week because I don't want to do this yes. again. <laughs> Everybody send Ashley messages to get healthy soon because, God, that was, that was a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's our show. Thus concludes another episode of Clark Talks. Thanks for listening. So I think last week we promised you a feature um, on escape rooms. We actually we did promise that. Yeah. We actually put that off this week. Um, sorry. sorry. We should have told you sooner. Yeah. Um, we are bad hosts. <laughs> Anytime there's a change in the act, you should really announce it up front. Yeah, yeah. Um, Note to self. Meh. Um, but yeah, we're bringing that to you next week. We had a really cool conversation with the guys that are running escape rooms here in Clark County, and yeah. it just got to the point where it was too long to uh, to to dilute this podcast uh, with. Exactly. With that, so it's one of those things where we don't want to necessarily bring you a podcast with like five or six different chapters. We wanted we've. After much talk and much deliberation, we decided we want to try to keep it to three every time. Yeah, kind of keep you in that half hour, 45 minute range, sort of sort of somewhere in there. So Yeah, exactly. So this uh, our escape room conversation is going to be a little bit long just because we had more people in it. And so we decided to push that back a week and just, you know, give it the room it needs without making you guys sit around with us all day long. I'm trying to come up with some kind of escape room pun about trapping it or something, but I've got I got nothing. That's okay. So, uh, I, I, there's a great joke in there somewhere. Though. <laughs> it's just not not up for me to make today. Yeah, but that's going to be just a sample of all the great stuff we have coming up next week. And as per the usual, stay tuned and keep listening. And you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud through Stitcher, iTunes, iTunes. You can probably get it through that new Google app that podcasts are using nowadays. I don't know oh. what the kids are up to. <laughs> uh, the, and as always, the podcast is posted on the Colombians front page every Thursday morning, so you can catch it there as well. Yep. And last but not least, if you want to tell us how we're doing or tell us we're terrible or tell us any fun facts or any good stories that we should cover, get a hold of us at podcast at Colombian.com. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks.